Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, October the 30th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll cover the aftermath from the game on Monday night, the snap counts, the key data, and who continues to shine in the advanced metrics box score. Plus, the one big thing comes back on tanking and it's crossover Wednesday as we'll get talking about the Dolphins and Jets, as well as all the roster updates from the trade deadline. A busy show today, but first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, keep us in the top 200 for Apple Sports Podcast and top 100 on Spotify. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Winkfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked on Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of content for you guys, whether it's commentary, news stories, or analysis. We have everything on LOD.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. News, news, news all throughout the day on Tuesday. And Miami actually struck the only trade of the trade deadline. Nobody else made any moves. Miami acquires 33.7-year-old cornerback Akib Talib from the Los Angeles Rams. But fret not, Talib is never going to play a down for this football team. He was put on injured reserve just two weeks ago, so he's eligible to return around week 16. But Miami's not going to do that. They bought him because, in exchange for Akib Talib, the Dolphins also received a fifth-round draft pick to help the Rams alleviate some cap space as they are strapped up against the cap. And of course, Miami, with about $130 million next offseason, are not. So Miami uses $4 million of dead cap space to purchase a fifth round pick, and they had to send back the Rams a seventh round draft choice as well. So they move up two rounds and eat $4 million for that fifth round draft pick. Also, at cornerback, Xavier Howard headed to injured reserve. His season will come to an end. He had the big pick in the game on Monday, but he's been hampered by a knee injury for a couple of weeks, and now his 2019 season is over. And it's something of an interesting counter move to the Bengals going with Ryan Finley at quarterback over Andy Dalton. They announced that move, but the Bengals were not able to move anybody off their roster. So that's good news for Miami. None of the tanking teams or teams in contention for the tank moved anybody off their roster. And even Trent Williams reports back to Washington now. So they get better. The Bengals will get better with AJ Green. We'll see how that unfolds going forward. And lastly, Nick O'Leary has been cut in his place. Dolphins added cornerback Xavier Crawford. We talked about that on the Tuesday show, but maybe Chris Meyerick, the practice squad tight end from Temple, can get a promotion to the active roster as Miami now only has two tight ends on the current roster. And let's go ahead and make a hard left turn right now into the aftermath column up on LockedOnDolphins.com, taking a look at the stats and snap counts from Monday night's loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 27-14. to We start here with the zero blitz that everybody's talking about on every morning show, every hot take show, and Brian Flores explained it that he's going to go down swinging every time. They're not going to change who they are. He's going to remain aggressive. And while I hated the call, I thought it was a terrible decision if you're trying to win the game. We'll talk about that 
that in the one big thing, but you compare that to Matt Nagy, who had a terrible explanation for his decision to kneel on a 40-yard field goal as time was expiring with a timeout in hand and 42 seconds left in the game. He takes a knee and then tells reporters after the game, you could have risked a fumble, you would have risked a failed exchange, and worse of all, he said when you run the ball and they know you're running the ball, you're going to get a three or four-yard loss. So just a horrible decision, horrible conservative nature, playing not to lose. That's not who Brian Flores is, and I appreciate that about him. But go ahead and flip it over to LockedOnDolphins.com right now. The Aftermath, Dolphins 14, Steelers 27. Tons of information in there for you guys. The Dolphins are currently 31st in yards per play and rushing defense, but 20th in pass defense, and they also rank last in quarterback knockdowns, 31st in hurry rate, sacks, and pressure rate. They blitz 20th most in the NFL, and their 45 missed tackles are 10th best in the National Football League. And now Miami has the fewest penalty yardage assessed against them in the NFL, and they are tied with San Francisco for the fewest penalties accepted. On offense, Miami ranks 31st in yards per play, passing, rushing, and last in points scored. The Jets are the team below them in all those categories, and the Jets have 0.1 more points per game than Miami. The Dolphins do rank 28th in third down conversion rate, but 16th in red zone touchdown rate with new OC Chad O'Shea, who of course was the red zone coordinator for the Patriots in years past. Miami jumped up 10 spots in the red zone production from last season. On offense, offensive line played the entire game except for right guard Shaq Calhoun. He was replaced by Chris Reed. And we have our answer for the back that will take over Kenyon Drake's role. The truth is, it's Mark Walton. He got 52 snaps, 87%, and Kalen Balazs played just 10 snaps and Chandler Cox, 8 Preston Williams again leads the receivers with 53, Devontae Parker 47, and then a big drop off to Hearns, Wilson, and Grant. They played 20, 18, and 14 respectively. Nick O'Leary was cut after playing just 18 snaps. That falls behind Mike Gesicki's 38 and Durham Smythe's 22. Michael Dieter is the only Miami Dolphin that has played every single snap this year, but he received a 0.0 pass blocking grade after allowing four pressures, two hurries, a hit, and a sack in the game. He did have the second best run blocking grade on the night. The first spot belongs to Chris Reed, who for the second straight week comes off the bench and earns a good PFF grade. He replaced Shaq Calhoun, who had the third best run blocking grade. Jesse Davis had a miserable night. Seven pressures allowed, five hurries, one hit, one sack. He's not a tackle. We talked about that on yesterday's show. And Evan Bame had the worst run blocking grade among all Dolphins offensive linemen. And he allowed one pressure, but it was just a hurry on the quarterback. PFF loved the Dolphins receivers. Jakeem Grant, Alan Hearns, and Devontae Parker all scored in the green, which is an above-average grade on Pro Football Focus. Both of Grant's catches moved the sticks, and Parker caught six of seven targets for three first downs with zero drops. Preston Williams continues to drop the football. His one drop pushed him down into the yellow grade. Otherwise, he could have been in that green spot as well. We still have the defense to get to, the crossover Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and the one big thing. But first, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer-lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. And it's midweek and some more lines are starting to come out at the sports books. And I want to tell you guys where you should put your money this year with my bookie. As a true football fan, you already know just as sure as the seasons change that Tom Brady is going to keep the Patriots in every game and your Miami Dolphins are probably going to lose. 
Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? It's almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the entire planet. The best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you 1000 bucks in straight cash, homie. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. If you guys want to see the details from the game on Monday night, just check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the snap counts, the key data, and the interesting inside track the Dolphins have currently on the first pick in next year's draft. All of that available, LockedOnDolphins.com, the aftermath piece, Dolphins 14, Steelers 27. We also have the news on Xavier Howard to injured reserve, Nick O'Leary getting cut, and the Akib Tlaib trade. Everything up on LOD.com here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. On defense, the Dolphins' snap counts are pretty interesting in that they're kind of giving you an idea about who they want here in the future. We start on the defensive line. Devon Godshaw leads the way again, 48 snaps. But Christian Wilkins was right behind him with 48. And John Jenkins right behind him with 42. Taco Charlton was fourth with 30 snaps. And Kim Diche played 15 reps in his first game with the Dolphins. Jerome Baker, the only defender that played every snap, he was out there for all 77. Vince Beagle played 65 snaps, Sam Aguavin 61, and Raekwon McMillan to 50, and Charles Harris way down 26. That's just 34% of the reps, and only three more than Trent Harris. Eric Rowe played 70, that's 91%. Bobby McCain, who was punished by missing the first quarter, played 75% of the snaps, 58 in total. Ryan Lewis and Nick Needham both went over 50 snaps in the game. Xavier Howard played just the 49, and then in the secondary, Jamal Wiltz, Ken Webster, Chris LeMond, and Stephen Parker all got work in this game. Howard had a blue grade, an elite PFF grade, quite possibly the last one we'll see this year from the Miami Dolphins. Rudolph completed just two of his six attempts on Xavier Howard with the pick, and really, frankly, Howard could have had three picks in the game, and the second completion was that infamous bust on the zero blitz. John Jenkins was the next highest graded player. He had two pressures, two run stops, batted a pass at the line of scrimmage, and continues to disrupt both the pass and run game of the opposition. Vince Beagle was up in there as well. He led Led the team with five pressures. The next closest was just two. Beagle had three hurries and two hits and two run stops, and the Steelers completed two of two passes on him, but for just three yards. Jerome Baker's coming around. He had eight tackles, three of those for run stops. He hit Rudolph, hurried him another time, and allowed just nine yards on two pass targets. Fellow linebacker Raekwon McMillan missed a pair of tackles on Monday. That's unlike him, but he did register a pressure and had four tackles on the night. And Christian Wilkins had four tackles, all of them qualifying as run stops, according to Pro Football Focus. And off the top of the show, we talked about some trades around the league that did not happen and other teams getting stronger. The Jets flirted with the idea of trading Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, and Robbie Anderson, but none of them were traded, and now they head to Miami for a contest with the Dolphins. And with that, let's go ahead and get to Crossover Wednesday with John Butchko of Locked On Jets. And joining the podcast now is the host of Locked On Jets. He is John Butchko. John, what's up, my friend? 
Well, Travis, I guess we're kind of sharing some misery this year. It's been a rough year for both of our fan bases. Well, let's start there because we talked about this off air and kind of ripping the Band-Aid off. And we'll get to Adam Gase here in just one second. But I wanted to kind of get back into that diatribe you gave me off air because it was fantastic. And one of the things you said to me was, we share this misery, but the Dolphins are executing a plan. And the Jets, just go ahead, man. Like, what is the plan? What's the lack of plan? Just take it. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, you could go back through through the Locked On Jets archives and hear this, <laughs> hear this rant over and over again. But, you know, we, we were talking about the, the, the struggles our teams are having. And I say, you know, there's a difference between what the, what's happening with the Dolphins and what's happening with the Jets. The Dolphins, I'm sure this season's very frustrating for you. I mean, anytime you're at this point of the year, you know, late October, no wins, it's 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 agonizing because you, you watch losses every Sunday. But at least the Dolphins, you know, you see what they're doing. They're executing a plan. And yeah, their plan is that they're not going to be very good this year, but there's there's a purpose to the suffering for Miami. Whereas on the Jets side, you know, this team spent a record amount in free agency, and here we are. What is it? Is it week eight? And we're right back to we're back to starting another rebuild. And that's the way it's been with the Jets. The Jets, they you know, they had the the great Rex Ryan years in 09 and 10, and then they fell off the next two years, and then they hired John Idzik in 2013, and they're like, okay, we're gonna start a rebuild. Well, Idzik's a disaster, so they get him out of there in two years. Mike McCagnan comes in 2015. They have a good first year with him, but then things fall apart year two. We're at the start of another rebuild, 2017. <laughs> and, you know, McCagnan, they, you start building up a little bit. Uh, they kind of strike out in free agency at 17. It's like, it's okay, it's okay. 18, we're going to have a lot of cap space. You know, or after, I'm sorry, it was it was after after, eight, after 18, we're going to have a lot of cap space heading into night. So they spent record amount of free agency, and here we are, and we're back at the start of another rebuild. It's, it's a perfect segue into a Stephen Ross quote from this offseason where he said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that also provides us a good transition into the Adam Gaze Band-Aid that we have to rip off because, John, as I'm sure you know from my just endless barrage of tweets the last couple of weeks. This was an obvious outcome for me based upon his time in Miami. I sent a tweet out on Tuesday saying that the Dolphins and Jets offenses are 31st and 32nd in pretty much every category. And he's doing the same things he did in Miami, depleting the offensive line, playing a conservative style of offense, not getting the ball to the biggest playmakers. Just tell me about why Adam Gase, why why are things so futile even after Luke Falk you know, comes off the starting job and it goes back to Darnold. Why are they playing so bad on offense? Uh, Adam Gase is a terrible coach. I don't know any other way. <laughs> I mean, what, I don't know any. I'll try and break it down a little bit easier, but it comes down to that. You know, I think there's probably a tendency in your fan base to say like, oh, I told you about Gase. Well, we knew about Gase. Yeah, we watched yep. Gase for years. We knew, like, this was a very unpopular hire at the time. Uh, 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 like you know, what's funny is I, I go I go onto my website and I was looking through like the archives and the Jets had this coaching search and really a lot of varying opinions on it. Some people wanted the, uh, the candidates they interviewed. Some people really wanted Matt Rule from Baylor. Some people really wanted Cliff Kingsbury, the coach uh, who's now with the Cardinals. Other people wanted somebody more proven like Mike McCarthy. And there was a lot of debate on it. You know, some people were like, "Oh, we can't hire this guy. We can't hire that." But it was amazing how the sentiment essentially for everybody was like, "I don't, I don't, I, I want this guy." I really don't want this guy, but I can talk myself into it yeah. as long as it's not Gase. And the Jets go out and hire Adam Gase. And, I mean, it's like you said. I mean, the, the offensive line, this might be the worst off. I've been watching football for, oh, geez, for, you know, 25 years. I've been watching the Jets for 25. I can't remember an offensive line I've ever seen that's looked this bad. Wait till you see Miami's on Sunday. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, they, 
the Jets can't pick up stunts. I mean, the any blitz they have no answer for. Uh, it's like he has no idea how to use Le'Veon Bell, who's one of like the best, one one of the most versatile backs in the league. No idea how to use him. It's you name it. I, I, I we probably could spend less time on the things that aren't going wrong for the Jets on offense. It's on. They have one game all year where the offense has scored more than 15 points. Yeah. And this guy was brought in and hailed, and we know inaccurately, but he was hailed as an offensive guru. It's, it's amazing. And that's, that's kind of where I want to go next is the quarterback position with the offense. Cause we could, we do have to talk about Sam Darnold. And as far as Adam Gaze is concerned, we, it's just the same things over and over with this guy, and we're seeing it again this year. And we go back to the quarterback whisper, all that fun stuff, I, I guess, if you want to call him that. But Sam Darnold is struggling, and I, I liked Darnold's college tape, but I had one major concern, and it was his ball security. And through 17 games, he's thrown 23 picks and fumbled the ball eight times. That's almost two, two opportunities for turnovers every single game. Is that just who he's going to be? Are they going to wreck him behind this awful offensive line? Just kind of go on, on Donald if you can. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of the above. You know, a guy he really reminds me of um, stylistically is Tony Romo. And I think one thing that always stuck out to me about Romo was like, I mean, there were always like moments where he'd throw some, he throws some ugly interceptions. Like, oh my God, how does a professional quarterback throw it like that? The thing with Romo though, is he was able to scale it back. So it wasn't happening that frequently. And you know, it's the type of thing Darnold needs to, it, I think there are always going to be those moments. They just can't happen with the regularity they've happened with. And I think to some extent, maybe it'll come with experience. Like there was one interception with the Jag against the Jaguars last week where the Jaguars got a free runner up the middle. And he did a good job evading him. And he just needs to throw the ball away. If he throws the ball away, it's fine. Live to fight another day. And it's like to me, I feel like that's the type of thing that's teachable. You know, I think the easiest thing in the world to do is to tell a guy, hey, you're in that situation, just throw the ball away. And there are other instances, though, where he just tries to force it where it's not there and he just needs to learn to pick his spots better. You know, is it the type of thing that comes with experience? It's up, it's up in the air. Some guys get better with one thing. Some people figure out how to scale it back. Others don't. It's tough to say. I mean, the one thing that worries me is the offensive line because at some point, and I think you're starting to see this a little bit, is it a case where he's just trying to get rid of the ball so he doesn't take another hit and he's throwing ill-advised passes you know, early into coverage? I think that's the thing that worries me more than anything is just, is he going to develop bad habits before behind this offensive line that can't block anybody? I think that you know, there's potential there. You could see it going either way, but I think between just the lousy job Gase is doing and this offensive line, there might be some habits that are, end up being tough to kick for him. So where, where is the power dynamic in this front office in terms of who makes the decisions? Because we knew that Adam Gase mentioned maybe not being the biggest fan of the Le'Veon Bell signing this offseason, but that wasn't Joe Douglas. And then Douglas comes in and he's kind of regarded as one of these, you know, unanimous great decisions or great hires from the Jets. Who's actually pulling the strings there? And is it going to be a dynamic that goes into the future? Will the Jets look to replace just Gaze or Gaze and Douglas? Like, how does this unfold for 2020 and beyond for the Jets? So I'm going to start off with the disclaimer that nobody knows what's going on in the mind of Chris Johnson, who is the CEO <laughs> with his brother. So, I mean, it's very difficult. It's uh, so I, I can't, I can't say I know, and nobody can predict he's so erratic. Nobody can predict how things are going to work. Uh, my guess is that Douglas has more power right now. And the reason I say that is from the standpoint that Douglas was able to, in order to hire Douglas, the Jets had to give him a six year contract which is kind of unusual. I think the only time that I can remember somebody being given a six-year contract right off the bat was uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in San Francisco, and they kind of had to do it because there was similar organizational instability when right. they did it. So 
I, you know, if you look at who has the longer contract, it probably would be Douglas. I mean, I think the other thing, and nobody really knows how Chris Johnson feels about Adam Gase, but you know, Adam Gase came in making a lot of promises. It wasn't just that he made promises. He made promises about how Sam Darnold was going to look with him. So, and this is me with a little bit of conjecture, but I mean, you would think that the owner who has made these big promises, Peyton Manning's calling up, vouching you know, Gase is a, this genius who's going to you know, turn Darnold into a star. If you're Chris Johnson, you're the owner of the Jets, and you're looking at this after you were promised that this offense was going to look great on, you know, Gase is the quarterback whisperer, everything's going to look great under him, and you have an offense that scored more than 15 points once all season, you know, it probably doesn't bode well for him. Uh, so my guess would be that this is probably, things are probably more driven by Douglas right now. But again, I mean, this is the Jets, so. Who knows? <laughs> it's Crossover Wednesday here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm joined by John Butchko of Locked On Jets, and we're going to come back and get his score prediction and ask him what the Jets might do well, what they will struggle with on Sunday. All about the game after this here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. So, John, it's a big game Sunday as far as what the Miami Dolphins want to accomplish this season. You talked about executing this plan this year and how you mentioned maybe it's frustrating watching games on Sundays. No, it's only frustrating when they get out to 14-point leads and risk losing that first pick like they did on Monday Night Football, but it comes back around. They accomplish the goal just like they have all season long. And the one big thing today on the show is going to be about the tank and how Miami's going about it. But I want to ask you here, John, because we want losses, baby. Like, how is this Jets team going to perform on Sunday? What do they do well? Where do they struggle? And what's your score prediction for the game? Uh, yeah, I'm going to upset you with, with my prediction for the game then. <laughs> um you know, this Jets team is just a disaster offensively right now. And they are, you know, what, what do they do well on offense? I mean, not much right now. This is <laughs> like, this is a brutal offensive line. Um, and it's just, it's killing this team. Uh, so, I mean, on offense, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, we're what seven games of the season. We have 15 points more than once. I don't think you can say they're doing much well on offense on defense. They're decent stopping the run. So it might be tough to get the run game going. And even after the Leonard Williams trade, Jets have some talent on the defensive line. Uh, Quinnen Williams, the first-round pick this year. Steve McClendon's a pretty solid player. Uh, Late-round pick from last year for Fuller Runzo Fatakasi's stepped up a little bit. Uh, young guy Kyle Phillips playing pretty well up front. So they might be tough to run the ball on. The issue on the defense is the passing game because they have just dreadful corners between Daryl Roberts. Uh, now, Tremaine Johnson dealing with an injury might be addition by subtraction with Nate Harrison in there for him. Uh, but... Not much off the edge in terms of a pass rush. Uh, corner plays very shaky. Now, in the middle of the field, Brian Poole's been a very effective slot corner. They still have the safeties, Jamal Adams, Marcus May, but outside corner is a big issue. Uh, so, you know, more bad than good with the Jets, as you might expect for a team with a 1-6 and six record. And I'll tell you, I watch the Dolphins. Dolphins are, seem to be getting better as the year goes on. They're playing more competitive football. Um, I'm sorry, Travis, I'm picking the Dolphins in this game. I mean, it's kind of funny that you, you guys are going to be upset with me, with me picking your team to win a game, divisional game, but I think I'm going Dolphins 20, Jets 17, because I think the Dolphins are just playing better football right now. Yeah, I could see it. I have a theory on why it won't happen, and we'll get to that next here in the one big thing. He is John Butchko of Locked On Jets. John, tell the folks where they can find you. Um, I am the managing editor at gangreennation.com. I actually don't have a personal Twitter, but if you go to my website's Twitter, it's gangreennation. Very good. Well, I appreciate the time today, John. You guys can find me on Locked On Jets on Crossover Wednesday, and this is where we go our separate ways. Thanks, John. One big thing. 
26 seconds to play in the half. 14-3 Miami. Pittsburgh has a third and 20 from the Dolphins' 45-yard line. Flores is an aggressive coach by nature, which I love, and I understand the idea of trying to force an incompletion to keep Pittsburgh out of field goal range, but oh boy did that backfire. Miami sends eight after the quarterback, who dumps the ball underneath to Deontay Johnson, and he proceeds to score the easiest 45-yard touchdown of his entire football life. On that play, Howard jogs after the ball in pursuit and throws a last-minute shoulder on Johnson as he crosses the goal line. And that was where the game turned and led to a 27 unanswered point barrage by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Go back to week two. Miami had just lost its second straight game by a margin of greater than 40 points. Every talk show, every football pundit was calling Miami a disgrace to the game. Morally reprehensible with disregard for player safety. What? Now, five more losses later, the Dolphins have been in each game at the halftime break. And then something happens. Miami's first half stats are hardly impressive as they are, but they're passable for a professional football team. Then you get to the intermission and everything changes. Let's read the splits. The Dolphins have ran 204 first half plays to 209 offensive plays in the second half. The first half average yards per play is 5.89. Second half, one and a half yards worse at 4.4 yards per play. Miami's first half rushing attack is inferior with 2.9 yards per carry compared to 3.8 yards per carry in the second half, which is usually garbage time, but the passing drop is alarming. Miami's completion percentage dips from 63% down to 51 from the first half to the second, and the yards per attempt plummets from 7.2 all the way down to a paltry 4.9. Miami has taken 10 sacks in the first halves of games this year. They've taken 18 in the second half. They've thrown three interceptions in the first half with nine in the second, and the passer rating dips from 88.5 in the first half down to 39.7 in the second half. And remember, you get a 36 passer rating just for spiking the ball into the ground every single play. They've thrown five first half touchdown passes compared to just one in the second half, Fitzpatrick's strike against Washington, which remains one of three touchdowns scored by the team in the second half of games this year and seven of the 21 total second half points on the scoreboard this season. Those 21 points over seven halves of football is equivalent to six points per game, three points per second half. The Dolphins aren't exactly a world beater in the first half, but the 56 points in the first halves of games is more than double the 21 in the second half. In fact, Miami's first quarter yards per play is 6.37, more than respectable, actually quite good. In the second quarter, it dips down to 5.42, which is still good. And then in the third quarter, down to 2.83, by far the worst in the National Football League. And then it spikes once again in garbage time at 5.17 in the fourth quarter. Once the first 15 play script is gone, the Jimmys and Joes show you that really they're O's and no's. The story is the same on defense. After that Murphy's Law week one game against the Ravens, the Dolphins' first half points allowed is just 66, but that number doubles to 113 in the second halves of those games. Bring this all back to the morally reprehensible comment, which was made by former player Dominique Foxworth on one of ESPN's many morning screaming matches. And through the first few games, that was the narrative early on as Miami was considered a tanking outfit by all media entities. But now they're being commended for playing hard. I saw Scott Van Pelt talk about it on SportsCenter on Monday. You just heard John Butchko of Locked On Jets say the same thing. And any sports show you turn on this week will surely mention Miami's improvement early on in games. But with that improvement, this team has played just one of seven games where the score differential 
was in single digits. The narrative is now about those darling Dolphins and bless their hearts for playing so hard. And Miami can facilitate that with strong game plans and playing hard early on, but still accomplish the goal with one blown coverage or by deactivating their best player after he makes a seven-point play to start the game or even just giving the football to Kalen Balaj. This is all operating in conjecture. I understand that. I don't have any intimate knowledge of the actual plan behind closed doors and Miami's move to go back to Fitzpatrick to convert special teams fakes in back-to-back games and Brian Flores rupturing the eardrums of the officials on the sideline certainly argues directly against my point. All I'm saying is, look at the data. Look at the touchdown at the end of the first half against Pittsburgh and ask yourself, why the big drop-off? Okay, that is going to be my time. We will have the film study on tomorrow's podcast and the game preview this week will come to you guys on Friday. But in the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. (laughs) 